Hello, my friends, and welcome back to Idle Chatter. I'm your host, Ray Bohax, the Hot Rod Farmer, and God willing, everything is going well for you in your life, and uh, you didn't get too much snow. We got hit with about five or six inches last night, but we had earlier in the week, we had about, uh, I'd say just about a foot, So, and it's been fairly cold, so that has not really melted whatsoever. Thank God that snow came uh Sunday night, last week Sunday into Monday, and I was able to clean it all up because Tuesday I had to go take a class for my uh, down uh, growers meeting class to get points for my pesticide license. The class was in Pennsylvania at a Case IH dealer in Bethel, Pennsylvania called Zimmerman's, and they registered their class with New Jersey, which is fantastic. I think I told you about that last week, and. Uh, it was very, very good. They have a guy from Penn State teach it, and he, uh, uh, I, I think it was from the Penn State Extension. He's retired. I believe his name is John Bray. But what he does, um, he teaches a, uh, he does a very practical, I'll say, feel dirt under your fingernails class as far as that is concerned, which is very, very good. And I enjoy that because the uh, he gives you information. So, what basically, in essence, what I hope I do with this show and and, and the radio show. And then that was uh, Tuesday, and then Wednesday, <coughs> excuse me, last week, a week from when this show drops, I went to the Grow Mark FS meeting, which was in New Jersey. It was not too far away, just a little less than an hour, the other side of Warren County, and that was very good. Also, good in a different way, and uh, they've been, they used to do the Growmark class in the Grange. We actually have a Grange Hall in Warren County, which is wonderful, because you go someplace like in western Nebraska, and they don't even have a Grange Hall anymore, Then we have a Grange Hall, but COVID kind of messed everything up as far as I was concerned, and they used to... Uh, do the classes at the Grange Hall, which was very nice. It was, of course, it was uh, an agrarian hall, right? The Grange is an agrarian association, and uh, we did that. When when COVID came, they couldn't do it, and they, the Grange decided not to open their facility anymore. Or I, I don't really know what the dynamics are, but uh, the hall is still there. I think the the group is still active. I I don't really know what happened. I'd be I'd be just making up stuff or think or telling you something that I all I know is that they can't do it there anymore. So that's basically it. <clears throat> and then last year, that same class was at a restaurant in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, and that was actually very very nice. I mean, the facility was very nice and the food was excellent. And sadly, they went out of business. I think I may have told you that before. And this year, it was at the Bloomsbury, New Jersey Firehouse, which was a beautiful fire company. And they had a, a caterer come in, and the food was fantastic, a little bit too fantastic, because I had like two big helpings of everything. And uh, was they had uh, <clears throat> chicken parmesan, which was wonderful. They had roast beef, which was wonderful. Ham, which was wonderful. Uh uh, mashed potatoes, which was fantastic. They had a uh, they had, uh, 
baked macaroni was everything was fantastic. They had desserts, but I'm really not much of a dessert person. Supposedly, people had two, they had pies, and then they had like a a cake made, so uh, a sheet cake. But I didn't have that. I just went up and had more meat and potatoes, and oh, they had grilled vegetables. It was it was really a fantastic meal, and uh, <clears throat> I guess everybody goes more for the meal. But that that's a good class also, and uh, I enjoyed it and. Uh, it was very good. It was a blessing to be able to do that and go there. And uh, there was at the uh, at the Gromark meeting, there was I think they said a one hundred sixty three people. So it was quite a large meeting, uh, at least for this neck of the woods, right? For New Jersey and uh, all the urban sprawl. But to uh, we're gonna what well, we're gonna talk about today, but I'm not gonna get there yet. Sorry, <laughs> is we're gonna talk about fuel density. And I may have I've discussed this briefly in the past, and I'm going to revisit it in a different way. But you know, in drag racing, and maybe in other sports, but I was introduced to it in drag racing. People say, "Oh, what's your PB? What's your PB?" And it's not peanut butter sandwich; it's what is your personal best. So if you saw so somebody says, "Well, I want a 892," and somebody says, "Oh, is that your PB?" Meaning, so 892 seconds in a quarter mile. And uh, well, it could be eighth mile if you're running eighth mile, but I ran quarter mile. But anyway, so so the term PB, so they throw the term around PB, and they maybe do it in other aspects of sports or whatever, <clears throat> but that's where I was introduced to it. So going to the Pennsylvania meeting, which is exactly 150 miles one way, it's like 150.3 miles. I guess if I don't change a lane, it would be 150 even. So it's 150.3. So it's 300, 301 miles around trip. And I had good weather going down there. Uh, I mean by good weather, good good weather for the winter. It was sunny. Uh, it was it was fairly warm, maybe like 45 degrees, and. Uh, there was no uh, precipitation, there was no wind and what have you. So why I'm telling you all of that as a precursor is that with my little Ford Fiesta with a quarter of a million miles, I turned my PB gas mileage. <laughs> so, uh, you know, as, as an engine person, I'm not saying that you need to follow suit with this by no means, but as a machinery person, as a technical person, you're always chasing your PB. Now to somebody who, you know, so, so you go to a dyno, you want your best, your, your PB on the, on that engine on a dyno. You go to a drag strip, right? You want the, you know, your PB best in, in longevity with something like my little Ford Escort that sadly is rotting in the cornfield. I parked that at 400, I think it was 452,000 miles. It was still running fine, but the bottom was rotting, rotting out. So my Escort has my PB best mileage, on it at, at just under a half a million miles and that poor sucker would have that thing would have been that i would say that would have been a three-quarter of a million mile car if, if not more if it didn't succumb to rust which was my own fault that it did all right i may have told you that story before charlotte and i were in uh, oregon with it right above uh, california and we hit something in the road i won't go into the whole story and it it I don't want to say cut open the bottom, but scrape the bottom. And that's since it's a unibody car, it's all painted all over. And it's it gouged the, the metal on the bottom in quite a large area. 
and uh, it uh, scraped all the, the paint and everything off of it. So I said, I, I never did anything with that. A car at the time at 300,000 miles, I said, well, uh, you know, how long is it going to last? I'm not going to worry about it. Then you come back and you're from vacation and you get, you'll get back into life and life happens and you kick the can down the road and before you know it's a year or two later. Well, that was like having a hailstorm on a corn crop or a, or a uh, soybean crop. I'll say corn because the leaves are broader and, you know, cutting open all the leaves and opening it up for infection, for fungus. Well, that's where the rust started. So if I would have been much more diligent than I was with that little escort, and I feel like I let her down. I uh, I betrayed her after she was so loyal that the uh, I would have went down. Even if I put a can of Rust-Oleum paint on it, it's underneath the car, it doesn't have to match, and paint it with a brush or something, it wouldn't have rusted. But that's where the rust got in, like fungus, bacteria, disease into a plant after a hailstorm. And from there, it spread out, and that is why the bottom rusted out. It was my fault, not the little Ford's fault. But anyway, so to get back on track with my PB gas mileage, well, my Fiesta uh, turned in a PB for me of 57.57.3 miles per gallon. And my PB prior to that was 56.2 with that car. So I turned in 57.3 miles per gallon and it actually was a very good run because the dealership is maybe like a mile off the interstate so it's not like you're going through a lot of back roads or sitting in town and and skewing the mileage so i was very very happy with that personal best 50 now i want to be honest with you does it turn 56 57 miles per gallon all the time no it does not everything has to be right but as i texted a few friends of mine i said i just turned 57.3 my pb i must have gotten a a load of high density fuel so that is what we're going to be talking about today eventually all right talking about fuel density so uh the other thing i'm excited about was i'm still excited about the about my pb 57.3 and uh but i guess simple things for simple minds but i looked into i'm going to be renting a uh a bobcat s570 skid steer with skid steer it's a wheeled one not a tracked one so it's a skid steer with a uh i think they call it a mower cab uh mower cab bob a bobcat brush mower on it right I think they call it a mower cat or something. I don't know what that brand name is. And I'm going to rent that because I'm excited about going around and opening up my fields. As I've said before, is that if you farm, especially in this neck of the woods, maybe in Iowa, it's not that way, but the hedgerows grow in over time and like gray hair you don't realize it till you look in a mirror and then you look in a picture from five six seven you look at a picture from 20 years ago and you say oh my god look how the fields got smaller and i was wondering why my math was skewing with my uh seed population and everything that's because the fields got smaller and you will be surprised if you're not truly if, if you're not you could be you could be farming twenty thousand acres but if you don't have that type of your twenty thousand acres in saskatchewan and it's all open all right then you're not going to understand this uh you'll understand it but you won't understand it because you never had a chance to experience it how 
those fields shrink by those so you lose 10 to 20 feet around the whole perimeter of a field that's a lot of acreage when you put and you add it all up so i do have a brush mower i have a new holland brush mower uh, for my new holland tractor kept it all blue it actually was in, it's been an excellent brush mower and uh <clears throat> but the whole problem is that with the tractor even if i put the farm loader on it and push the bucket down you still beat the hell out of the tractor you scratch it up you rip wires out i mean the, the brush it's an open station tractor so the brush comes and hits you in the face it's it's not a picnic and then you could say well why don't you just back into it well if you back into it you could do that also it's very arduous it doesn't seem to work as well um and if you're going to do i mean we don't have a million acres here but if you know if you're going to do let's say a, a couple of hundred feet you say if i don't just keep back going at a right angle and back into it or just back down there but it just it doesn't work that well and then one year i backed into i did that a number of years ago when my dad was alive then i backed into this rock <laughs> and uh and i ended up bending bending the uh back of the mower the mower, uh, the body, I should say, and then the blade was hitting that, and even though you pop the clutch in and kick it out, it still has inertia, so it actually, the blade actually sliced part of that, and book. I mean, that side looks like a like a who done it and ran. And then the one time I backed in, and the mower rode up on a rock and put the blade right on a rock and busted the shaft in the gearbox, which was not fun. Uh, it wasn't the end of the world, but you had to order the shaft, you had to order the bearings, and uh, you know, and then you never have the <coughs> you should be never have the right splitter to press it on. So it, it gets to be. So I said, no, no, no. So anyway, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to rent this skid steer sometime next month when the uh, weather gets a little bit better, and I'm very excited about it. There's a place in town that rents them and i'm going to rent it for two days and i should be able to do a lot of work here on the farm with two days and then give that back to them i'm having them you know deliver it pick it up and uh, this way anything happens i'm buying the in the uh the extra insurance so god forbid something happens with it a rock comes flying through the window or something it's it's supposed to be covered so i'm very 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 excited about that i think it's called a brush cat that's what it's called a brush cat not a mower cat a brush cat so uh 61 horsepower skid steer it's not that big but it's perfect for what i want to do around the field around the perimeter field by the stone wall i could you know it's not a it's not a monster it's just going to be good enough so i am excited excited about that the other thing that i am excited about uh with reservations is that we started the wheels in motion and uh to do something about preserving the farmland the farm and uh succinctly i will try i'll talk to you, i'll say it quickly because you know, i don't think you want to hear all that but uh, in new jersey they have a program they have two programs that one is called farmland preservation and the other one is called open space preservation and uh they're a little bit different the open space is a little bit different than the farmland preservation but in essence what they basically do if you get accepted into the program what they what they basically do is that they you there is a value <coughs> assigned to the land 
and as agriculture and there's a value assigned to the land as uh, developable. And so the thing basically is, is that I need to put an aside to this, a caveat that in New Jersey, <coughs> excuse me, for most intents and purposes, this is not Iowa, Kansas. I'm going to take a drink of water. Sad, <coughs> sadly, is that if you're not of the ilk to want to preserve the land, then there is there is no succession plan. And you talk to people in agriculture, and it's a big buzzword, and rightfully so. I respect that that there's a succession plan for the farm and the business. Somebody's got a farm out in Nebraska. They're farming thousands of acres, or even if they're not farming that large, but they want to be able to pass the farm to the next generation, and they want to do it efficiently and smartly so they don't get killed by taxes and what have you. All right, so those of you that are listening know all about that in new jersey very rarely is there a succession plan because a succession plan for a farm is the bulldozers come and they build houses on it or they build a shopping center or an office building and that the pressure of the urban sprawl in new jersey is very great even though we live in a rural area it's not as rural as it used to be but still quite nice i don't want you to think that i'm farming and living in the middle of a of a subdivision i am not but that potential is definitely there all right so and the thing is that and since charlotte and i have no children um that even if somebody wanted to, to if we had somebody there is nobody to, 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 to after us all right when uh my sister passes away who has no children and Charlotte and I pass away and go home to the Lord. The Bohack's name is Kaput. It's dead. It's gone. It's forget about it. Wipe it from the annals of history. So, uh, or annals of history, however you say it, and uh, it's gone. So now, so what? New, so what you basically could do? What you have the possibility of doing is the best word, because all parties have to agree. Is that so? Let's say, arguably, that the property. A piece of land is worth ten thousand dollars, right? And uh, as a developable land, so if you were to sell it to a developer, you'd put houses or shopping or whatever on a ten thousand dollars. Use let's say a hundred thousand for easy arithmetic. All right, so now because the numbers will work out easier, and then, but as far as it being agricultural land, it's worth twenty five thousand dollars. So there's a seventy five thousand dollar differential between the two. Now, depending upon how anxious the entities are that want to preserve it, and usually it's a it's a combination effort between the state, the county, maybe the township, uh, possibly maybe an association like the National Wildlife, whatever. It all depends who wants to come to the party, and who and how anxious they are to want to preserve that piece of land. Uh, is that then they will make you an offer? So in theory, in a perfect world, you'd say, well, it's worth $100,000 if I sell it to a developer, and it's worth $25,000 if I sell it to a farmer. So what the Farmland Preservation Association does is they say, okay, we'll give you $75,000, and they buy the development rights from you. So you still own the land, you still farm it, it's yours, but they deed restrict it. So they go to, the, the, in our case, Belvedere, <coughs> New Jersey, <coughs> which is the county seat for Warren County. 
and you they deed restrict it and you have your seventy five thousand dollars now the, the fact of the matter is is that i made those numbers very clear cut is that in lots of instances well i should say probably in, in with rare exception the landowner in this particular case me and my wife the farmer is usually going to take quite a financial hit for their desire to preserve the land so let's say arguably that it's it's the piece of land is worth well into seven figures all right they probably they're not going to give you what it's worth in most instances so and plus also they have to want to preserve it now you would tend to think that 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 would be a no-brainer and like most things in life right so just like sadly we used to say in the car business the baby is not supposed to die and the parents are not supposed to bury their children and every soldier is supposed to come home from war and um and sometimes that does not happen so i did have a meeting last week a preliminary meeting and uh it looks like they have a a good deal of interest in preserving our property but how deep is their pocketbook with that interest we don't know all right so but regardless charlotte and i do not want this farm destroyed we don't want this land destroyed and uh and you know when i i told the people i met with i said you know don't read that as well i'll take a dollar you know what i'm saying so whatever without getting into much detail here but god willing so uh i've never really asked anyone to pray uh for me so those of you that are and i'm not saying that you that you make this on your prayer list every day but i would greatly appreciate it if that you would say a prayer that the lord would make way a path for this to happen fairly so i like fair business deals i don't like to beat somebody over the head i would have no issue with if the lord spoke to the to these people's heart and said oh no we got to preserve this bohax price per piece of property no matter what how much how much it costs and 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 uh and open up <laughs> and open up their pocketbooks but regardless as that we want to do something with it i do not want it developed my family has owned this farm for 70 years long before i was born i will not have it destroyed on my watch but so so that is something that i'm um i'm glad that that we're on that road but there's a lot of pitfalls in you know down that road so god willing something could happen and uh i feel that i have an onus that if i want you to asking you who are believers to lift that up one time before the lord i'm not saying it's something every day because ultimately i've been praying for this far my whole life for god's will to happen with it and um but i know that the lord does honor those who come in behalf of someone else and um but what our plan is and i'm sharing this with you all right i mean maybe it's i shouldn't i'm sharing it with you is that whatever we get for the for the farm to be preserved that 90 percent of it is going to be given away i mean we've 90 percent of it we're going to give to we're going to give to to the lord's work and and i'm not saying that as a way to bribe god because god knows my heart and he knows it's true to the lord's so we're going to give we're going to give you know we're going to tithe a large percentage to the lord's work and then the rest of it is going to go to help animals and then 10 percent of it we're going to keep 
all right so so arguably if we got a hundred thousand dollars using that as a simple ridiculous number we would keep ten thousand dollars and then we would go and we would give 90 percent of that away to charities and i'm not going to stand on the street corner and give it out because it god willing it will be a sizable amount of money but it'll take me probably about a year to give it out <clears throat> to the proper organizations that will do good works with it and not squander it and then when charlotte and i eventually go home to the lord we will donate whatever resources we have there are a couple of dollars in the bank our house uh to the same causes and then what we will do is that i will we will donate the farm uh the actual deed restricted land to an organization called at this particular point which is my organization of choice it's called the new jersey animal protection league and uh it will stay in in in, in uh, till the good lord comes back uh as far as a safe haven for animals for wildlife for animals they could put the rescue mission here do whatever and then i will be if i if god willing that could happen i will be living my dream that this farm that the good lord gave me to steward i'd still be able to farm it and i'd be able to farm it without looking over my shoulder and knowing that all good works god willing will be happening with it so that is the whole plan and i share it with you because you are my audience maybe i open up a little bit too much but there's no bones about it is that we're not going to be going out and buying a yacht or buying a house in lake tahoe or what have you or buying the buying cars or drag race cars or whatever so it's going to go for those things and i think that would be uh i feel in my heart that that would be wonderful nothing nothing would make me happier than having god's hand move that to happen so uh <clears throat> and you, you you tell some people out they think you're crazy but that is well i guess i am crazy because i don't live for this world and uh, if you've listened to my show you know that i'm a firm believer that god gives us things to steward and we're supposed to use those, those that stewardship and whatever blessing it is to his glory and to good. I'm not saying you can't buy a car. I'm not saying you can't buy a pickup. I'm not saying you can't go on vacation. Don't take it to that level. But there is whatever. If you're of that ilk, you will know what I'm talking about. All right, so we got that. Let me see what else we're going to talk about here. I got a couple of cats meowing outside, but we're going to try to put them off. All righty. <clears throat> so what we're going to talk about a half hour into the show <clears throat> excuse me <clears throat> is fuel density and fuel density has been <laughs> i'm laughing at myself i'm not going to say it's been a passion of mine well maybe it has been but who knows but i'm weird so i'll repeat a story that you've probably heard maybe but the, the audience is always growing I always was curious about fuels because, as I said, that I always like to have my my PB, my personal best. If I go to a dyno, I want to go to a drag race. When we race, when we drag race a Mustang, I want that personal best. So I, I want my personal best yield on the farm. I want my personal best, my PB on everything I could do, right? Everything that that that's possible, I want to try to do it the best I can. And uh, and if you're of my ilk. <clears throat> which hopefully, God willing, you're not. 
<laughs> because you drive yourself crazy, is that I love numbers. And for a kid that hated math class in, in, in elementary school and junior high school, I live by numbers. I love numbers. All right. You know, I drive my wife crazy because, oh, no, no, I have, the, you know, the, the weather station and I have this and I have that and rain gauge down to down to two decimal points and what have you. So, uh, so gas mileage down to two or three decimal points. So I live by numbers. And that, I guess, is the engineer in me because, and the farmer, right? Because if you apply numbers to things, if you quantify it, put a quantity to it, then you could qualify, you could identify what's working and what's not working. And then you need to be able to, when you look at any type of number, whether it's historic yield on your farm, historic gas mileage or whatever, is that you'll know exactly how, for instance, that piece of machinery runs. So if you know, arguably, let's say that you're, uh, you got a hay bind and you're mowing and you're mowing alfalfa, right? And you're out and you've got a nice big operation, not like me, Mickey Mouse. And you say, well, you know, usually when I cut this alfalfa, I'm using whatever, make five gallons an hour. And, you know, I did this to the, I did this to the hay bind and I, you know, I did blah, blah, blah. And now I'm using four and a half gallons an hour. Or I'm using, something's going wrong. I'm using six gallons an hour. All right. So <clears throat> it's always, you need to be able to, you can't live in la la land and, uh, and just totally oblivious to all the numbers around you like i say you're not going to go crazy but the idea of having numbers so if you know this field always makes 300 bushels per acre and you made 260 this year and the uh, and and there was no reason why as far as weather was concerned or seed then you need to go back into your you know you need to look backwards right go back across the go back and follow the assembly line back why are the cars coming off the assembly line with the fender scratch right so you have to see what's happening why it didn't make 260 and in the same token if it made 330 and it usually makes 300 and the rest of the farm you know is more or less in in its historical average then you say well what happened that this thing that this field made 330 bushels per acre and or why you know why did i get 57.3 miles per gallon when my pb prior to that was 56.2 and so so this quest even as a young man uh when my i had a whole dodge dot and uh and you know i i, I used to see you know because if you if you talk to somebody like the triple a which is useless all right all right, they say, oh, this and that, the way you drive and this and everything. And, uh, you know, Jackrabbit starts, Jackrabbit stops. So Jackrabbit stops on doing anything. The gas mileage today, because for some reason, no carburetor. Before the carburetor, the, the float level used to change because of the because of the, the, the acceleration. But anyway, so, you know, they give you that stuff. But there are a lot of other dynamics that impact the fuel economy on any apparatus any machine whether it's a combine or whether it's my fiesta all right so the thing is there's a lot of things that come into play but just like the soil that you're planting your crop in is that the fundamental of it right the foundational thing the fundamental thing is the fuel that you are using or the fuel that the engine is running off of at the moment and why i say at the moment is because for lack of better terms the fuel industry is a whore's business all right you have no idea what you're buying as far as the fuel is concerned because it's it's shipped through a pipeline right? and the only thing that you would honestly know 
if you buy a branded fuel with a certain additive package in it is that in theory you should be getting that additive package but what is called the base fuel and specifically with gasoline the same thing as with diesel but they refer more when you say base fuel they usually think more of gasoline than they do diesel but it comes to play also is that the base fuel is a commodity that is sold like corn on the, the corn of chicago board of exchange right on the, the new york stock exchange whatever so commodities market <clears throat> all around the world so you have this base fuel and the base fuel uh uh meaning the base gasoline or the base diesel fuel now keep in mind that if you were to look at fuel right so we're saying gasoline or diesel course those are the two ic internal combustion engine fuels so we're not using propane to any great extent unless you have an irrigation pump that runs off of it so or, or or natural gas or something so it's those two fuels and uh there's a number of things that come into play first of all number one is the crude oil that is used to create that fuel there's all different types of crude and you and and if you were to listen like the rural radio and they say well oh, oil went up you know two dollars a barrel it's now 82 dollars a barrel that the standard that they use is west texas intermediate which is i i abbreviated wti so if you look in the wall street journal or go online it says wti is something that's west texas intermediate but then if you start to look beyond those charts just like if you say if you look in the um, wall street journal using them as an example and say this is so much corn for bushels and it says number two yellow corn all right there's other corns and number two yellow corn but that became the standard as far as the market pricing is concerned and, and in the united states here west texas intermediate is the standard but there's all different grades of crude oil all right so and then we have a lot of crude oil we have crude oil coming from canada we have the north slope so there's all different grades of crude oil just like there's all different grades grades of most things in life grains and what have you but the west texas intermediate is what the i'm like i say the gold standard is what they measure everything by or what they advertise the price of so let's say you're buying canadian oil sands oil right then you may look and say that's going for x amount of dollars a barrel all right and then west it could be less or more than west texas intermediate but that's what they say so it's important for you to understand that so now the moving parts in this equation is that you don't know when you go to the gas pump or you have diesel shipped to the farm you go buy diesel in town for your pickup truck right or you drive your tractor to the station like i do mine because it's only like a little bit more than a mile away uh the thing is that <clears throat> number one is you do not know we'll stick with gasoline because that's what my fiesta runs off of you do not know what crude oil that gasoline was made from it could have been west texas intermediate it could have been from oklahoma it could have been some canadian tar sands in there who knows but now as an aside to that that most refineries and somebody who's in the refinery business will know ten thousand times more than me but as my understanding is that most refineries only can process may one type of crude or maybe a few others that are close in the in the chemical composition 
the dynamics, the fungibility, right, of that crude. So if you have a, so as far as I understand, if you have a refinery that could do these types of crude and then use, for instance, you're going to send it Canadian oil sands. Is, oh, no, 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 we can't do that. We, we, we're not set up to do Canadian oil sands. We're not, we, we have to, we're set up for West Texas Intermediate. So just like a bakery saying, well, I make those type of donuts. because I'm that doesn't mean they can make it, but it's not, it's not an economically feasible model for that. So now what happens is that they make this gasoline. All right, so you have this guy. I, I know I have a listener, and whether he still listens, I have no idea, that was a chemist or an engineer at a refinery outside of Chicago, Illinois, that specialized in processing uh, Canadian toss. I think they call it toss sands or Canadian oil sands, whatever they call it, oil uh i know in california they had the the tar pits but maybe i'm getting confused but that canadian oil sands oil which has a different vis- different dynamics viscous just a lot of different things about it and then so so now they refine this gasoline now the gasoline by government regulation in the united states supposedly has a standard that they have to meet so just like say number two yellow corn it has to meet that standard or grade a meat has to meet that standard usda grade a so there's a grading standard so every refinery is going to meet that standard but we'll come very close to that standard but what you have to recognize and i'm no expert on the refinery business so please if someone's listening correct me all right but what happens is that a refinery is basically done outside so if you ride by a refinery someplace it's not in your town or near you you'll see that the, the, the for most for all intensive parts yes it's not outside like a pot of soup making it but all of the pipes and everything it's it's not in a building like a car factory or a bakery so it's refined outside and thus what happens is that the refinery itself is influenced positive and negatively by the weather conditions of when that gasoline was being refined from crude oil so now we have the type of oil that's going to be refined we have a government standard for gasoline and we have the refinery being impacted and influenced by the weather conditions so now let's say they make all they make all base fuel that's what everybody does is they make base fuel and then they now sell this base fuel and they ship it in a pipeline so now this pipeline has the fuel put this 87 octane will say regular grade uh unleaded gasoline so now it goes into a pipeline and in this pop pipeline it becomes co-mingled because it is fungible and i did a pod a radio show on fungibility but fungible means for those who of you that are not familiar with that word it doesn't mean fungus it means that it's so for this definition it means so alike in chemical composition that it could be mixed together with no adverse no adverse effect so what i like to do is i talk about coffee so if i have coffee and i have regular coffee and i top it off with a little bit of with a little bit of uh uh caffeine whatever you know caffeine free coffee whatever then now my it's fungible so it's not going to make me sick it's not going to blow up it's not going to do anything all right but now the coffee has less less caffeine than the regular and more caffeine than the decaffeinated right 
<clears throat> so I made like a hybrid blend. So this is what's happening inside the pipeline. They're shipping this gasoline inside the pipeline. This came from this refinery. And it, this was, it was a lousy day weather-wise, right? When they made so this refinery, they get, but it's still within specifications, all right so now just like my coffee i have some reg as i have some regular coffee i had some decaffeinated i got a hybrid coffee it's neither here nor there <clears throat> so now this the the uh this this well this gasoline i also like to make an analogy to a barge i'll pick on the mississippi river but i love all the rivers here in the united states then you see a barge going down the mississippi river and it's loaded with corn and there's all different types of corn in there, right? There's there's decalb corn, there's pioneer corn, there's uh, LG corn, all right? There's 92-day corn, there's 115-day corn, whatever. There's all different types of corn in there, all right? Because it's fungible. And if it's going to a plant where they're making corn oil, it's all fungible, right? So like in composition that it could be intermingled. But you don't know what corn it is. So <clears throat> so what happens now is gasoline goes through this this uh, pipeline and it comes to uh, its process it's finished gasoline and it comes to a distribution center or uh, a depot, all right? And then at the depot, the tanker truck comes and it fills up with gasoline and, and then at that particular point, at the distribution hub the depot you want to call it whatever you want to call it <clears throat> is where it becomes brand specific so what happens what is supposed to happen uh, is that so now you have this tanker truck and it comes and it says okay i got a load of uh, sunoco going to, to hackettstown new jersey you gotta pick up a load of sunoco so when they go to the distribution center all right there and the depot and the guy says okay you want 87 right and we're gonna make it sunoco and he metaphorically probably presses a button and then whatever additive package that sunoco adds to the gas like a top tier detergent package would have you is is put into the tanker with the gasoline so the gasoline so it would be like you pouring something into your sprayer all right the gasoline is the base fuel and that the additive package is squirted in there and as the t gasoline tanker is filling and then sloshing around on the highway all right to get to the gas station here in hackettstown that additive package is being mixed if it's going to raise gas and there was just the base fuel then they did not put anything in it. it's base fuel it's a cheapy stuff all right and not every gas has an as a brand specific additive package all right and then so then it would be what is qualified as the base fuel does the base fuel have any additives in it yes it does all right but those additives are put there a minimal amount of additives that are required by law and historically when that gas goes into the re pipeline historically i was told that's when the minimum amount of additives are put in and then if they're gonna if they're gonna introduce ethanol to it that is introduced at the at, in most instances like i say this is what was told to me uh is introduced at the depot so if it's going to be e10 they put 10 percent ethanol in there and they put the base fuel which is e0 and it mixes in the truck all right so it in unless they've changed it now and is sending 
I don't think they're sending E10 through the pipeline because there are many areas of the country where they have E0. All right, so so that is it. So now, getting back to my personal best fuel economy. All right, so we're going to take the weather out of the added situ added added equation because the weather was okay. It wasn't great as far as gas mileage is concerned. There was no wind. There was clear. All right, so the electrical load was minimal because you have to remember every load that you put on the alternator that's power that comes out of the gas tank because the alternator becomes harder to turn so if you have a 100 amp load on it it's going to be harder to turn than if you have a 20 amp load and that power is going to come out of the gas tank it's a parasitic loss but not a parasitic loss inside the engine that's external to the engine so but and the weather was okay like i said it was sunny it was nice there was no wind had a had a it was a pretty felt it was a pretty good barometer day from what i could glean well here it was on the farm and you say what does the barometer have to do with that well the barometer has a lot to do with it because how does it normally ask how does an engine normally aspirate or not how does it fill the cylinders it fills the cylinders with the pressure differential between the atmosphere and the low pressure region which we call a vacuum which is anything less than atmospheric pressure that the movement of the piston with the piston rings creates as the piston sweeps towards bottom dead center all right so that pressure differential is what is going to fill a cylinder so if you have a so as a drag race you say it's good air <clears throat> and what is good air a good air to a drag racer to an engine guy is a high barometric pressure so you got a lot of god is pushing a lot to fill that cylinder and it's low humidity because if you have high humidity there's moisture in the air and water does not burn so you want an oxygen-rich cylinder fill going into the cylinder. If you have a high humidity, I mean high humidity, if you have high barometric pressure and low humidity, then you are having an oxygen-rich, and that's what burns. Water doesn't burn. The oxygen burns inside the cylinder. So so <clears throat> the barometer i mean right around with a, with a, with a barometer in my car but the, the, it felt pretty good all right I mean, you say how do you know well you don't really know because i looked at the barometer before i left and that was what the barometer was here not 150 miles away but lots of times the barometer will affect how you feel if it's very off all right so you may feel tired some people feel headachey some people may have a sinus problem a sinus pressure that they don't so whatever sort of thing is that so i'd have to say from the way the car felt and everything that the barometer was decent was it stellar maybe not but it was a good barometer all right the idea that there wasn't the air wasn't damp or right, i went outside it wasn't it wasn't chilly so <clears throat> uh that was pretty good but so that was all in line but for me to get my personal best gas mileage all right so all those factors were a plus they weren't ideal but they were on the good side of the of the equation then i must have unbeknownst to me bought fuel that had a very high energy density so it was e10 so all you say oh it wasn't e10 it was easier and no, that was e10 all right all right and that it had a very high energy density so that means so because if i did not have a high energy density fuel and everything else was good <clears throat> perfect i probably would not have gotten my personal best gas mileage 
All right, so so the the, the crux of it there, the the fundamental of it was that I probably I not probably I did get a very high density fuel. How did I get a high density fuel? <clears throat> By the luck of the draw, the gas station didn't know it was high density. It was just it just so happened that the way that the way that the way that fuel came through the pipe whatever all right all the different dynamics i spoke about the pipeline the fuel all those other things is that is there's a range of btu for energy density and fuel there's a range for specific gravity remember specific gravity is based upon what the weight of water water being one so if you have a specific gravity of of 0.7 let's say 0.80 then you're 80 percent for all intents and purposes the weight of water so <clears throat> sort of thing is that if you have a higher specific gravity that historically is a indicator of energy density unless that weight comes from alcohol from ethanol because ethanol is heavier than war than than gasoline all right so but regardless it made no difference like you're going through the field with the combine man look at this place man that the yield monitor is bumping against 450 here right so the good lord blessed it the soil was good the rain was good and all the things were good over there so that is how i got my personal best so now the thing is that <clears throat> if you were to start to check your gas mileage your fuel when i say your fuel consumption it could be on a combine if like i said i check my fuel consumption on my boiler my heating system all right and then you start to get a record i'm not saying you have to write this down in a notebook all right all right so the thing is that you say well this this you know like i said this combine when i'm harvesting 200 bushel corn it's usually it's usually using 10 gallons an hour making up numbers right if i'm harvesting 300 bushel corn all right then it uses 11 gallons an hour because the more because the more work that that the more crop that's going through that header into that feeder house the more work the engine is going to have to do it's going to use more fuel that's basically it there's no rocket science here all right so now the thing is that uh so if you keep a record of this if you i not keep a keep a mental record of it right then it's a wonderful indicator of what's going what's what's happening all right and you may find that you buy fuel for your farm and diesel fuel is not as susceptible to skewing but it is acceptable to skewing susceptible to skewing all right and if you find that that when i buy fuel from abc distributor i usually use a little bit less but if you don't know what the heck the machine normally uses you all bets are off buddy or you have no idea you're shooting into the dark <clears throat> all right and i go to, and i go to the other distributor and and i get a little bit better or it's inconsistent they flop around either way right because the thing is that well maybe distributor a is getting his fuel from a a a, a depot that you get the majority of the fuel from a refinery that's higher density who knows right it's all going through a pipeline but there is a scientific reason why that is happening can you identify it no you just know that it's happening all right so if you buy for your pickup truck if you buy it go into town and you buy a tank of gas all right and you fill it up and you say okay i'm going to that meeting you're going to meet that hot rod farmer it's 
200 miles one way 400 miles and you're riding and you're not driving any differently than you normally do you're not driving for your bet for your pb right but the weather conditions in that seem to be you know they're not you're not bucking a headwind you're not enjoying a tailwind and what have you and the thing is you say well geez no <clears throat> normally i get a hundred miles on a quarter of a tank and i'm and i'm only going 80 miles on a quarter of a tank and you're not doing anything differently for any for any great for to get any great degree the weather conditions don't seem to be adverse then you could say to yourself you got a low density fuel then you would probably be correct all right because if you keep just like in farming right well we do a test pump so here's our control we didn't put this fertilizer here we didn't do this we didn't do that right the thing is that so if you if your driving style is you're controlling that and you and even if you drive like a maniac so i always drive like a maniac and this thing gets 15 miles per gallon and today i'm getting 12 right and I'm st- i always drive like a maniac it makes no difference as long as you keep that control the same then you're gonna have accurate average data without going crazy right so and and, and conversely he said well i usually go 100 miles on a quarter of a tank <clears throat> and now i'm going 130 miles on a quarter of a tank then you got high density fuel so without driving yourself crazy with all of this it's very good to know and to understand this and i've done this show on this before to a different level that because it is good a good diagnostic protocol for you to say well hey you're not going to go crazy over one or two times especially on a farm if you're buying bulk diesel fuel say well i bought the fuel from ray's fuel distribution this fuel stinks <laughs> right so thing it's sucking through here like water like 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 uh like silver paint on a tin roof so the thing is that but it's it's a very very good diagnostic protocol for you to pick out minute little changes that are happening to your equipment and i use the broad to base term equipment because it could be a car it could be a tramway, it could be a tractor it could be a spray it could be irrigation engine it could be a utv whatever all right all those dynamics are going to be exactly the same so to this cause what i am going to do and as an aside to that cause <clears throat> is that i found well you could check fuel density with a hydrometer and i have a hydrometer kit that i got years ago from kinsler fuel injection they didn't make it they just packaged it and it and it uses the hydrometer and has a graduated cylinder and a thermometer what have you because the density of fuels is always based upon temperature and usually it's corrected to 60 degrees fahrenheit so that is why by by law if you buy diesel fuel all right because it's very susceptible to density that the tank is supposed to be underground and uh and the east coast over here underground is around 56 degrees all year round all right be deep enough to not to not be affected by the weather just like groundwater here in new jersey is about 55 56 degrees all right and well water middle of the summer 56 degrees middle of the winter 56 degrees all right so because the density is going to skew so if you're buying fuel from a from a uh from a uh 
a, a place that has an above-ground storage tank, and it's sitting in the sun, and it's in the hot Nebraska sun, and it's 120 degrees outside of Scotts Bluff, and it's baking there, you're going to buy fuel that has less density to it. And if you look at, like in aviation, and I know some of you are pilots, the, days that the pilots say we have 500 pounds of fuel left. All right, so the thing basically they're concerned with the weight of the fuel. I'm not going to go down that road because that's an idea of the density. So now, based upon this, what I am going to do is that my fuel kit is very arduous to work with because uh, I mean you got to get the fuel, you got to pour it, and whatever. I guess it's, it's not it's 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 not quick and easy. All right. <clears throat> because it, you have to pour it into the graduate cylinder to a certain level. So I found a company in Pennsylvania. They may tell me to go pound sand, pardon my language. And it's American. They make American-made hydrometers for all different industries. They also make American-made hydrometers to test nitromethane that they use in drag race cars and some tractor pull guys use, right? All right, and, and what I want to do is I want to get together with them and... I'm hoping to do a radio show with them. I haven't even spoken to them yet. So that would be on Farm Machinery Digest Radio. And I would like to see whether they have a bulb type of hydrometer. So like an old battery hydrometer, right? They make battery hydrometers also. And and make a bulb type of hydrometer uh, for fuels. And they this way, <clears throat> and I'm not saying that you go out and you and my audience go buy a, a hydrometer, and every time you go buy gas, pull a sample out of your tank, all right, and <clears throat> check the density and, you know, whatever. I'm not saying that. You'll you'll check the density by your fuel consumption. So that's like saying, hey, when I, when I pet, you know, when I pet Ginger, she likes it in her ears for me to run my pinky in her ears, and she purrs. But Hallie doesn't like that. She likes it under her neck, the purr. So you, the end result is just like going through the field with the combine. I got five hundred bushels per acre here. Well, everything was right, right here, All right. But what I do think it's important, and if you could buy a hydrometer like this for under a hundred dollars, right? And the thing is that, and for you to check your load of diesel fuel, if you are buying bulk diesel fuel for your farm. So now, uh, from what I understand, that that the D, <clears throat> the let me put my I don't I don't want to jade it this way. Good diesel fuel, as far as energy content, is supposedly has, but I'm going to confirm this has a specific gravity of 0. 0.850. So, if your bulk tank is set up easily, or what happens is that you have your bulk tank, you're getting 2,000 gallons, 3,000 gallons of fuel delivered, and now you go fill up the tractor. If you have a bulb or your spray or whatever, you, and you have a bulb type of, of hydrometer, you could go in there and just stick it in there and take a reading on that diesel fuel and see what you are actually buying. Because who knows? If, if that number that I, I told you, 0.85, is the desired number, and you're getting diesel fuel... <clears throat> that is historically at 0.72 all right that would be like buying seed corn that says well we're charging you for for 80,000 seeds but they only have a germination rate of 60 percent 
but you're paying for 80,000, buddy, but don't go out in the field and look for 80,000 plants. If you got 60% of that, you're doing good because our germination test only said, and you want, and, <clears throat> and only, it only says it's 60% germination, which is ridiculous. Let me just get a drink of water. <clears throat> but what I, what I feel is that that's a good tool, metaphorically, to keep in your toolbox. All right, if you're, so if you get a load of diesel fuel at your farm from Ray's fuel delivery and it comes in at a 0.72, all right, then you're not going to call up Ray and say, well, call me, hey, I'm pumping back out this stuff. This fuel stinks, right? But you would at least be aware of it. You know, and that's lots of times just diagnosing something is just being aware of it, right? So you'd be aware of it, then you get the next load. And, you know, maybe the guy is a good guy. And you're the next load of fuel is 0.72, all right, instead of 0.85 or whatever, who knows? All right, so you check that. And like I said, you could check that after you pump it into the tractor because it's easy, right? So, and do that. <clears throat> then you could say, well, this tractor is using a lot of fuel, right? I mean, this will take you like 30 seconds to do it. Take you longer to get the hydrometer. All right, so that's what I'm looking to do. And then the other thing, which I, if you are a listener to the podcast, and that's one of the, well, I know that these hydrometers are available for diesel fuel, so it's not the end of the world. And I think they have bulb-style hydrometers for that, but I want to get together with this company. And uh, But what I think the next frontier is, and I'm getting away from fuels, is that I brought this up at the meeting the other day, and... Uh, I think the person was just thought I was nuts, which is a normal reaction I get. <laughs> I get from people I go out in the public because I'm very passionate about things and I often look at things differently. And people, usually people try to sell themselves that they're, they're so wonderful. Then you ask them a question about something and you find out they're not so wonderful. I'm not saying that I am. But anyway, but it, I mean, I would say this guy probably, and he was a representative of a large company. He probably stopped short of rolling his eyes up in his head when I told him what I was wanted to, you know, to uh, investigate or research is that as farmers, we are going and what we're having whether you have a self-propelled sprayer we're going to use those we'll use those because they're the they're the best all right and have the most accurate equipment so for instance you go and you they tell you to calibrate your spray tips and do a test and you get a a graduate special graduate cylinder and you time it and you do it and you do okay what are your spray tips delivering well the thing is that your calibration procedure on a sprayer on a farm sprayer is with water so if you buy a t-jet tip or a hypro tip and it says 30 gallons per acre right that's 30 gallons per acre of water at a specific speed a test protocol and a specific pressure all right because if you're going 900 miles an hour and you have the same pressure you're not gonna put 30 gallons if you're going if you're going a half a mile an hour you're gonna put more than 30 gallons so you need to have those degrees of freedom those different they're not true degrees of freedom but different components in your equation all right so <clears throat> the thing is that but do we spray water no we spray 
water as a carrier with tank, tank mix partners. We're putting nitrogen in. We're putting boron in. We're putting glyphosate in. We're putting a foliar or a fungicide in. We're doing all these different things, a pre-emerge. All right, we're putting Acuron in it or we're, we're, we're putting the, the bullet in, whatever. So the thing is that you're not going to make the the, the tank mix lighter than water because you're adding components to it. But all of our math is based upon the flow rate of the tip on water. But what we're doing is we're putting something that's that's adding to the weight of water. So the thing is that so all of our calculations, or I, when I was the one seminar, I said, look, on this field I put, I remember it was 32.85 gallons per acre on I, I said to him after the class, I wouldn't embarrass the person in front of the class. That's a person who rolled him, his eyes up. I said to him, you know, you said, you know, respectfully, you said you put, based upon your 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 Raven system that controls the spray, you put 32.85 gallons of, of product on this field per acre, right? I said, I'm going to challenge you respectfully and say you didn't put, that. that's what it says. I said, yes, because that is based upon the specific gravity and the dynes per centimeter which is the surface tension of water not what you put on now it how much did it skew i cannot tell you so without bending your ear (coughs) and going and going crazy is that what i want to do is i want to talk to this gentleman like i said maybe a time you go take a hike all right talk to this gentleman go see him and talk about the fuel, the bulb hydrometer to test fuel, specifically the diesel fuel. And then I want to talk to him about about a bulb type of hydrometer for farmers to check the specific gravity of the tank mix partners that they are using on that pass in the field so today maybe you're just spraying a fungicide and 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 uh some boron right who knows but tomorrow you have six or seven tank mix partners in there all right and there's a very simple equation i'm not going to burden you with it now so if you have a controller for your sprayer like i spoke to raven and i thought i was nuts you have a controller for your sprayer and you say well i want 30 gallons per acre use that easy number of my tanks mix part you may have 10 different components in that tank mix all right all right and you're going out there and you go with your bulb hydrometer very safely right you're not touching the chemical with your bulb hydrometer say okay my specific gravity is 1.20 you could do the math, so you may have to tell the the control unit. I'm you picking on Raven. There's other ones. All right, I'd say no. When you do the math, manual instead of putting 30 gallons, say I want 28.75 because of the specific gravity. Or I want 31.2 on this field. All right, <clears throat> so you could very easily modify your 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 application rate once you notice specific gravity even though they may not have put that in that they don't have that in that algorithm so you could do that manually you go there and you do the math and and it's close enough all right i mean you're going to be a lot closer than you were if you used water 
All right, so not only is there an environmental benefit to this, there's a cost benefit to it, and there's, there's an efficacy benefit to it. So if you're supposed to put so much of this pre-emerge down, and because of all of the tank mix partners, because we talk about, oh, let make one pass through the field, which is right, make one pass through the field. All right, then the thing basically is, is that <clears throat> you may not be putting enough product down. And you say, why isn't this working? Why is that? Well, because you did all your math based upon water, which is what the industry told you. So I'm hoping to ruffle some feathers with this, but what I'm looking to do is to get you, my audience, the information. And if you could buy an inexpensive American-made hydrometer, check your diesel fuel, all right, so you know, and expensive american-made hydrometer climb up on your spray and say here it is okay i got 1.260 specific gravity take your cock your calculator off your phone wherever you have it say okay i'm going to set my controller in this particular instance for 31 gallons instead of 30 gallons so i could have the same efficacy as i would all right that i'm that, that i'm supposed to have where i'm going to do 28.2 gallons because i i know it's going to be putting more down based upon the specific gravity <clears throat> so now some of you are saying well hot right you're full of garbage because you're full of crap because the my 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 seven hundred thousand dollar sprayer has a flow meter and it looks at the flow well flow meters on sprayers are based upon the flow rate of water okay so i'm not going to get into the science of that but if you want to do an internet search all right and do flow mate flow meters for the chemical industry and you'll tell the it's they're they're not doing what we're doing on the farm okay right and on a different i came from the automotive side is that i came from the automotive side and the fact of the matter is that if you're just running an engine dyno you have to tell the engine dyno, which has a flow meter, you have to tell the engine dyno that my wife is running water upstairs in case you hear it going through the pipe in the basement here. And uh, you have to tell the engine dyno specific gravity of the fuel you're using because it's going to be able to, then it's going to be able to calculate what's called brake specific fuel consumption and the pounds. So there's, there's, I'm not saying it's 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 difficult math. It's not calculus, but you can't just go and say if you. I mean, if if you're going to look at a field and you're going to pace it off with your feet, well, I know this is more or less this distance, right? That's close enough for what you're doing. All right, it's not a surveyor's mark because otherwise every surveyor would just never go to school and never have a tripod and a transient and they would just say well he just count with his feet and say hey this is it i'll put a stake in the ground all right so i think we need to take this to a higher level all right but i the important thing is it needs to be easy to check it needs to be quick to check it needs to be safe to check and inex relatively inexpensive to check so you may think i'm nuts all right but they also thought and i'm not break i'm not saying that because that could sound condescending or cocky hey they thought columbus they thought columbus was nuts right and if you look at anybody in any in any i'll use the word community i don't mean a neighborhood so if you look at the high yield farmers 
If you look at if you look at the the guys making big horsepower, like I was talking about a few weeks ago on the show, the guys who put you know the who uh, compete in sick week and whatever, they're paying attention to these little details. But the whole thing is to make it easy and quick to pay attention to these details because you're not working in a refinery all right you're not making a nuclear bomb you want to basically but you will find out and i i would very with very little doubt uh am i telling you this that you will find out that your diesel fuel is not what you think it is as far as energy is concerned uh, your gasoline, lots of times, is not what I think it is. And more specifically, what you are spraying on your field is not what you think it is as far as the rate is concerned because all of your math is based upon a specific gravity of one. All right? So that is and what I wanted to tell you today. But also, before I get ready to close, there's one other thing I made a list over here is that at this particular juncture, I will keep the company unnamed at this point. Some of you know who it is, is that things are starting to move in a positive direction with this one company as far as doing the classes are concerned, doing the education, uh, and I don't mean through the podcast, in-person education at different locations throughout the United States and Canada. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna forget the good farmers and good people of Canada. All right. So, uh, <clears throat> are we to first base yet with this? No, but I. But there's a, a a good deal of interest. Just like I said, as far as preserving my farm is concerned, there's a good deal of interest. And I do want to say to you is that I feel that this one company that I'm hoping to do this with, all right, is the perfect company for it because of their corporate mindset all right uh that i feel that once that that this would be a great place for you in agriculture uh for and for me to have a transfer of knowledge through them all right the thing basically is that but i will say to you that just like i said with preserving the farm that if this company tells me no all right and uh and then I am going to go to company B, company C, company D. And then once I run out of companies, then I will give up on that idea. All right, but God willing that this company is my first choice. And I think that we would work wonderfully together because of their, their corporate mindset, their ideology, and what they're accomplishing. So hopefully, God willing, we will see. But I want to thank you so much for, for listening, for tuning in, and I want you to know that the Hot Rod Farmer's poem for you, the American farmer and rancher, my beloved, beloved America. You have a blessed day. Be well, be safe, and be kind to all animals. If you have any questions, please feel to reach out to me at hotrodfarmer at farmmachinerydigest.com. Thanks for listening.